0: stated that only five times we have declared war in our history. True, but who's gonna stand here and say that men that died in Vietnam and in Korea weren't in a war? Defend the Guard is one of the most important and exciting things happening in American politics today. Simply put, Defend the Guard legislation says that the states will refuse to allow the president to nationalize their Guard troops for overseas combat without an official declaration of war by the U.S. Congress. It's not like hippies who are against the war. It's badass combat vets who are telling you exactly why, short of a congressional declaration of war, you do not have the right to use the National Reserve. So, you know what I mean, for for your... In other words, never again, since Congress, of course, will always refuse to take responsibility for the wars they finance. You tell that widow or you tell that orphan I'm sorry, son, but your father had to die because we didn't want to lose federal subsidies. The PBS NewsHour came out and did a 15-minute segment on Defend the Guard last year. Everywhere they testify before state legislatures, the Pentagon races to send a two-star general to try to intimidate the states into sticking with the status quo. You know what that means? It means that the Defend the Guard movement is hitting the war party right where it hurts. It puts the brakes on before we rush headlong into some unnecessary war again. Great nations do not fight endless wars. It's just true. And now the majority view. These wars do not serve the national interest, only narrow special interests. And while the government can safely disregard public opinion on almost every issue, without the mass support of the right, they just can't do it. If you really want to honor veterans, quit making them. To save America, we've got to abandon the empire. This is a very sound effort to bring back once again the constitutional responsibility of all of us. The spell has been broken. Americans can be tough, but smart. Learn more at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host, Olga Maria. I just wanted to start with the Defend the Guard um, commercial. Uh, Please help in uh, fighting and and bringing our troops home. Uh, Go to defendtheguard.us and see how you can help in your state. So tonight joining me is Angela Harders. I met her at Porkfest, and as soon as we met and started talking, I knew that I had to have her uh, on my podcast because she has such an amazing story. And we're going to be talking about homeschooling and unschooling and public schooling and everything in between. And thank you for joining. And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to put them in the comments and I'll be more than happy to share them. So thank you, Angela, and welcome. Thank you for joining me.
2: Thank you so much, Olga, for having me. I am so, so excited to be here with you.
1: And thank you for uh, jumping on this super last minute. I was like, I haven't done a show in over a month and I have to like start getting back. And I I really did want to have you back on. So I appreciate it. Um, But briefly, um, you wrote a book. And um, what's the name of your book? Tales of
2: a Toxic Teacher Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools.
1: Incredible. So when you told me this story, my mouth was on the floor when you were talking about, like, how you came about this, like how you started to understand because you're, you're a teacher. So you were teaching in public schools. And it was like, you had this revelation. So can you speak a little bit to that initial, like, what was the motivation, like, how this this journey for you started?
2: Yeah, so I have been a teacher in the public school system for over 12 years. I've taught everything from kindergarten through 12th grade. I taught Spanish, ESOL, and special education. I've worked in some of the most wealthy districts in our country, and I've also worked in the poorest districts in our country. So I feel like I've really kind of gotten the gamut of what it looks like to work behind the scenes in a public school as a public school teacher. And during A lot of people often ask me, how did you know that there was a problem with public schools? And I often will tell them I I realized that there was a problem within the first five minutes of my first year teaching. And I often share a story about my my very first year teaching. I was teaching in a low income school and the bell rang. All the students started flooding in. Immediately, I realized that there was a problem because I only had 30 desks in my classroom and my class roster was showing 42 students, even though I only had 30 desks and so right away i was like okay this is this is not going to work out very well i had many students that were sitting on the floor or standing in the back of my classroom and at the time i was teaching in an inside classroom which meant that we didn't have any windows at all there was no air conditioning in the building it was my own personal health so i affectionately like to call it and um, at that time there was a, a student who was sitting and he put his feet on the desk in front of him and i had asked him to stop and um, you know if he could put move his feet down so that someone else could sit there, and he immediately proceeded to stand up, kind of push the desk in my direction, started screaming expletives at me. Who the f are you to tell me what to do? B, you can't tell me what to do. And I was, I mean, he was towering over me. I was like 20 years old, you know, fresh out of college, and this kid's, you know, towering over me and screaming curse words at me, stuff I never would have done as a kid growing up. And um, I just, I was shaking, and I said, "I'm your teacher." And he said, F you, you know, and he's he picked up the desk, threw it at me, walked out of the classroom, and I never saw him again until the okay. last. Day of school.
1: Welcome to education.
2: Yeah, so that was my first five minutes being a teacher in the public school system, and I was wow. like, "Whoa, what is going on here?" And like I said, I didn't see him again until the very last day of school when he actually walked across the stage at graduation and they handed him a diploma, even though he never attended a single one of my classes.
1: And what and class was that that you were teaching? Was
2: Spanish one. It was a required class. He needed to pass my class in order to graduate. And when we got back to the school building, actually, I remember I was sitting next to a colleague of mine and I said, hey, how is he walking across the stage? He never came to my class. He was there literally not even five minutes. And she just said, don't ask questions. It's better for us to just pass them on. That way they could be society's problem and we don't have to deal with them for another year. And when when I got back to the school, I pulled up the grades and I had my paper copy in my hands. And he had straight zeros all across the board. And then I logged in on the school computer and noticed that someone had gone in and changed all of my grades for him, gave him 60%, and he passed. And so that was kind of my first inkling that something is drastically wrong.
1: So here. hold on like and w- so are you okay with saying like what state that was? Yes, yeah.
2: So I've been a teacher in Maryland. I live about 20 minutes away from the White House. So, yeah, in the right outside of Washington DC.
1: So, it's incredible to me that I mean, when I went to school, I went to I went to parochial school, granted, but public school wasn't any easier. I mean, I had friends that went to public school. So, you know, but the idea that you would just get passed along and I'm, you know, I'm older. So um, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking that it wasn't like that. But the idea that you would just get passed along is like when I was a kid was unfathomable, even when I was a young adult. And I was a teacher as well. I taught um, preschoolers for a few years, so it's different, but just the idea that it's okay to pass along kids just to get them out, so they're society's problem. And then, yet people get irate when you say that, you know, the public school system is broken um, and that it's not, you know, people wanna have this very vague idea of what is wrong with the education system. And it's like, no, there's very concrete things that are wrong with it. And one of them is the outcomes. So the example you're giving, um, which we would look at as the, the, the school to prison pipeline. I mean, literally setting up this young person, right? I mean, goodness knows like what the whole background that led to the interaction on the first day, like, what that was all about. But then just, you know, and, and him disappearing, and then just kind of showing up and graduating. Um, so just like all of that, but then, you know, people are right when you say, yeah, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, you know, the teachers unions have way too much control. Um, you know, what's going on in the principals and the district and the supervisory unions and the school board and people are like, no, you know, like, you can't discuss it, or you can't attack this system. And it's like, but it's not working. I mean, and that is such a clear example um, of it not working, where it's like you can have a student who isn't even there and they are passed along because someone in administration decided they just have to get them out. Like they're just so they're they're not even valuing the education that they propose that that they that they provide. No. And when we are talking about as like libertarians, when we're talking about taxation is theft. And, you know, there's no accountability for how our, our money is, is taken and distributed. And, and we use this example, right. people just lose their minds.
2: Right? Absolutely. And that story is just, again, that was the first five minutes of my career as a teacher, but I have accumulated 12 years worth of stories and instances very similar to that one where it's just time after time after time and example after example, where we just see the these problems that are persisting. And I know when we were talking in Porkfest, one of the things that I'd share with you was that was the beginning, but I think kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me was I was actually in the process of of going through a divorce. I was in an abusive marriage and a friend had shared with me the this it's called the power and control wheel of abuse and domestic violence and she shared this with me to kind of raise awareness like hey Angela I think that the things that you're experiencing in your marriage are are not healthy this seems like it's an abusive toxic environment that you're in in your marriage and she gave me this power and control wheel for domestic violence and abuse and as I was reading through this power and control wheel the only thing that I kept thinking was oh my god everything that is on this power and control wheel. This is exactly what I do to children every single day in my role as a teacher. And they were things like using force and coercion, using threats, manipulation, isolation, humiliation, all of these kinds of tactics that we know to be intrinsically abusive. And yet it is literally impossible to be a teacher and not employ those tactics with your students. And and that was kind of the breaking point for me where I was like, I can't do this anymore.
1: And can I ask you, are the techniques and skills that you are taught in teaching, um, do they include these tactics? Or is that when you get to school, when you get to an institution that it's like, this is what other teachers are doing? Or like, is it an unspoken thing? Or is it something that's actually built into how teachers are trained?
2: That's a great question. It actually is both. So a lot of, a lot of, the abuse that we see is kind of the behind the scenes where people aren't really realizing it. Um, There are things that are maybe as simple as, you know, using a behavior chart. A lot of that was in our training, right? Like they were like, if you want to control and manage your classroom, you have to use a behavior chart or use some other form of, basically it's like public humiliation, you know, to be able to get and coerce these kids to do what you want them to do. And, but even on the, on the most basic level of what it means to be a teacher, we, my job as a teacher is to force children to do things that they don't want to do because I'm expected to teach a curriculum. I'm expected to say, I'm going to tell you what you need to learn, when you need to learn it, how you need to learn it. You don't have any say. in in what you're learning, why you're learning it, how you're learning it, the order, you, you have no say in any of it. And everything is about having that power and control over someone else. And as a libertarian, we understand these intrinsic principles that coercion is not only immoral, it's illegal, right? It is wrong to interact with other human beings in a coercive way. And yet we do that all day, every day with kids in schools. We try to coerce them and manipulate them into doing useless tax all day, every day in school. And we try to force them to learn things that they don't care about, that they don't have any relevance for in their actual life. And to be honest, things they're never gonna use again.
1: But Angela, if those things aren't done, then how are children supposed to learn to be productive citizens? (laughs) Great question. Um,
2: So we think, and again, I think this really comes to the heart of the discussion is really understanding how is it that human beings actually learn? Do we learn best when someone is forcing and coercing us and telling us what we have to learn? Or do we learn best when we are driven by our own unique passions and interests? And we all know this to be true. This isn't anything that's, you know, unknown or mysterious or off. You know, it's just this is widely known and accepted. We learn best the things that we learn with joy. And, you know, we as teachers, of course, we try to make our lessons as fun as possible. And we try to play games and do all this stuff. But it still doesn't change the the fact that at the heart of it, I'm still in control over you. I am controlling what you do with your time, how you spend your time. And I think that the answer to force is freedom. And so by giving our children educational freedom, they learn the things that they love when they need it. And they learn with joy and they learn it well.
1: That's beautiful. The answer to force is freedom. Um, So after you had this revelation, um, what happened? Like, okay. So you kind of go into this process, right? Like you're getting a divorce, you're realizing, you make this connection with this book that's written about, you know, being in an abusive toxic relationship and you make this connection. Like this is literally our educational system. Um, So then you write this book, so tell us about the book. First of all, what's the name of the book again? I'm gonna write this it's down
2: in Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools. So as I was in the process of learning about abusive and coercive relationships, COVID happened. (laughs) So it's kind of this perfect storm of, of seeing the impact of power and control. So the power and control wheel, it literally has power and control at the center. And they talk about how every single abusive relationship has power and control at the center of that relationship. So there has to be some element of power and control. And this is exactly what we saw with COVID. And it was like red flags for me everywhere. I mean, I just was seeing, This is this is absolutely the government attempting to take power and control over us as human beings. And if they're trying to do that, it's going to result in abusive tactics. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw mandates where they were, again, forcing and coercing us. They were humiliating people that didn't comply. They were isolating us from one another. You know, all again, manipulating, isolating, humiliating all of these abusive tactics again, where it's like on full display. So I'm experiencing this in my marriage and now I'm experiencing it at school. And again, I'm experiencing this just as a human being in the world that's dealing with COVID and, and witnessing all of this abuse happening right before my eyes. And so, yeah, so that was that was kind of what inspired that. I took a pretty hard stance. Again, are we allowed to say the V word on here?
1: <laughs> I don't know what's, oh, with the vaccine, no. yeah, I guess so. Vaccine, vaccine. Okay, I don't know time. if you're, Yeah,
2: I don't know, I know. if we're on, on YouTube and we're not allowed to
1: say that. <laughs> I mean, it is, and I've had things taken down, but then I fought it and had things put back up because this, you know, so much information at this point has come out. Yeah, but so yeah, okay, you know, well, we, we can the, be. Yeah, that we yeah. <laughs> um,
2: because I would like for this to not be taken down, right. but yeah, so I, I really took a. A hard and fast stance against all forms of again force and coercion by our government against us and for me that looked like opposing adamantly um mandates for this thing and this thing Mm -hmm. and so yeah that actually is what ended up costing me my job um and yeah so i left the school system and published this book that I had started writing many years ago. But that was the kick in the pants that I needed to say, it's it's time, it's time for people to be aware, because we can't address the problems of an abusive relationship until we can actually identify what are these aspects that make up an abusive relationship, because it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's so pervasive. It's in every area of our society. And this is what what I think, you know, the Libertarian Party stands for is, is walking in freedom and, and not being
1: subject to force and coercion. And I think it's really brave that you stepped away, right? I mean, I think education, I mean, I was raised to look at teachers, you know, as just a, a noble, and I think it is, I think a lot of folks get into education from a noble place. It's like a, it's a noble profession, like being a firefighter or a paramedic. Um, and, you know, I was a teacher for a while. I have family, you know, many of my aunts were educators and people, you know, that I know dear who are educators and, and 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 teach in public schools and some teach in private schools. But, you know, we we kind of have this idea of 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 teachers. And I think because it just comes from a place where um, you have an army of people who we look at as as caretakers and who are going to pass on to our treasured children information and knowledge and make them um, have help them grow and become good citizens. But the reality is now and I don't know if it's always been this way. Um I don't think so, but you know, certainly now there's a lot, we haven't even touched base on the indoctrination of the information that's given. You're, you're just looking at the power dynamics, which I think in and of itself is more than enough. Mm-hmm. Um, add to that the, the indoctrination, the political, right. politicized, um, socialized indoctrination that's taking place coupled with that power dynamic. It's pretty scary what... Um, is then happening in the hearts and minds of these of young people that are going through this educational system at this point in time with that. Um, One of the things you shared with me is that um, you were able to get um, Larkin Rose wrote the intro for your book. He did. He did. How did that happen? So Larkin Rose, for folks who don't know, he's a a noted anarchist he's a filmmaker he's a writer um and he's just he's just well known in 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 the circles of you know anarchist political thought and libertarian you know the libertarian movement liberty movement things like that so how did that come about
2: yeah so i had actually i i was introduced to the ideas of voluntarism or anarchism Um, I was introduced to it through the word voluntarism. I wasn't aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the word anarchism felt very scary to me (laughs) when I was first hearing about these ideas. And I was introduced to that by David Rodriguez and he had recommended a Facebook group for me. And I had posted a comment in there, you know, asking like, how exactly does this work? And Larkin Rose actually responded to my, my oh, comment. Wow. And he said, I wrote a book and I'll send it to you if you're willing to read it. And I said, yes, I love to read, send me your book. And I mean, there were like hundreds of people that commented back to my comment and were like, take him up on his offer, read his book. And I like, I didn't know who he was, you know? Right. And so he sent me this book, his book, it's called the most dangerous superstition And within, I mean, on the first page, like my jaw was just on the floor. And literally with every page, I had to like stop reading and then call my best friend. I was like, you need to hear this. And I'm like reading her the book as I was going through it. And his book was just so transformational for me and just opening my eyes again to seeing this dynamic where there is power and control and how that shows up in ways that are harmful towards humanity. And his whole book is about, you know, the the myth and the superstition of people believing this government as an authority. And so I was so impacted by his book that I just, I figured I would reach out and ask if he would be willing to write the forward for my book. I was shocked when he said yes, I felt so honored. Um, so yeah, he wrote, he wrote the forward for my book. And, um, and that was, that was a really, a really cool treat for me. So
1: and it was the most dangerous
2: um, superstition. The most dangerous superstition. Yes. Okay, if, right. if you have not read that book yet, that is absolutely a must read. It is on Amazon. You can also get it yep. directly from him too. Um, but it is it is incredible.
1: Yeah, I'm just sharing it right there so people can check it out. Um, that's amazing. So, so you were a teacher for 12 years, and you mm-hmm. have? Do you have you have how many children? I have two kids. Okay, so then how did this translate? So can, are you okay with sharing the experience that your daughter had in school? I think you you shared that with me. Yeah. Yeah. And and kind of, was it in this time, like where your experience and making all these connections? So what happened?
2: It was, it was, it was as the it it just it was like the perfect storm but not a storm <laughs> it just just right. the timing for all the things. So my daughter right now she's 9 years old, my son is 4, he'll actually be 5 next week. And when my daughter was 4 years old, um this was when I had started going through all of this that my my husband had left and I was dealing with a lot of, you know, issues in my marriage and then dealing with issues in my school and um And I had always wanted to homeschool because I was a teacher. I was a reading teacher for a good portion of my career. And I always wanted to be able to be the one to teach my daughter how to read. I said, I want to see that, you know, those light bulb moments for her. I've seen them for thousands of other children that weren't mine. I want to be able to see that for my own. But because I was a single mom, I just thought there's no way I can homeschool. I'm a single mom. I have to go to work. Obviously, she's got to go to school. And this is just the way it has to be. And so when my daughter was four, she started going to public pre-K. I was still a public school teacher at that time. And she went to public pre-K for two hours a day. And I figured, you know, two hours a day, they're in pre-K. They just go and play with the kids for a few hours and then she'll come home and it will be great. And that was not the case. (laughs) That was not the case at all. Um, In fact, she came home very often crying saying that the kids were mean that they were saying bad words that they were making fun of her that the teacher would scream at them a lot that she didn't didn't like it because the teacher would yell at them and would say mean things and and call them stupid and it just it was not good so one day my daughter actually came home from the bus and she was crying and i asked her oh my gosh what happened and she had these marks around her wrist and she told me that the teacher had grabbed her really hard by the wrist and had dragged her outside of the classroom and put her in timeout. And all the kids were making fun of her and she was like, mommy, I'm so embarrassed and it hurt, she hurt my wrist and I I don't ever wanna go back there. Please don't make me go back. And that was, that was the breaking point for me. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to homeschool you as a single mom, but you were never going to go back to that again. And so I just never sent her back. And yeah, so that was kind of how we started our homeschooling journey. And Hold at on. The time, yeah, pause, sorry, go ahead.
1: pause, pause. <laughs> so the teacher put hands on your child. Um, like what happened next? Because me and my husband would have been like, livid. I mean, I would be like, okay, I need to talk to the director. He would be in the I parking was, lot. Like who is the I person? Was. Like? I had actually I had gone in to observe Like, her did they guy. get fired? Like was nope. there d- was there any disciplinary action that the school took? Nope. See, this is what I'm saying. And then people are like everything's hunky dory or
2: Yep, and actually, I at the time I was teaching in that same district as this teacher, and they they actually told me that I wasn't allowed to go in. I wanted to go and observe her class um, prior to this happening because my daughter had been complaining about you know things happening there, and I tried to go and observe, and they told me I wasn't allowed to. And I was like, "Oh, you are not going to <laughs> you are not going to tell me that I can't go and observe my child receiving a public education. This is a public school. It is open to the public." you have to let me in to observe my child in in her classroom. You have no right to keep me out of here. And actually I showed them on the website where it says that parents have a right to go in and observe. And if you're, if you're a parent and your child is in a public school, I highly encourage you to do that. Go and observe, go and just, sit in the back of the classroom, you don't even have to say that it's your kid. I mean, but go in and see what it is like, you have a right to be in there, you have a right to see what is happening behind the closed doors of a public school classroom. I will tell you, it will probably surprise you at the things that you see in there. Um, but
1: yeah, so, so even Oh, so, so you're not in jail. That's good. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, not in jail for
1: that. Not in jail for I mean, that. It it really it really shocks me, though, that the teacher that left marks on your child is like kind of got off scot free, because if your child went with marks on their wrist from home, they could very easily call CPS or DCF or whatever it's called without even your knowledge. And you can have like all types of horrible things happen um, and it could have been something that happened in, it could have been that same teacher, but just another person in the school observed it. And all of a sudden you're the focus, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's mm-hmm. so upside down. It is. Um, yep. so, but anyway, so at that moment you were like, okay, I'm homeschooling. And so how did you, how did you make that work? Like work you, cause you were still working in school. Mm-hmm. I
2: so- was, yeah, I ended up, uh. At- at the time, like I said, my, my son was born prematurely. He was born um, he was born three months early. And so I had a nanny who was taking care of him. And so it kind of worked out easily that there was already a nanny there that was taking care of him during the day. And so she just stayed home. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually um, I, I stopped using the nanny and then I found other ways to kind of make it work for myself. But um, But that was how we did it at first. And when I started researching about homeschooling, I had initially planned you know, you think homeschool is doing school at home. Right. So that's what, that's what I had planned to do. I made a schedule with, you know, English for 30 minutes and math for 30 minutes and science for 30 minutes. And I even planned out like a lunch and then I had a recess for her and I was so proud because I actually gave her 30 minutes of recess. Kids only got 10 minutes. So I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was like, wow, my girl's going to get 30 home minutes of recess today. It's going to be great. And looking back now, I'm like, that was so silly. I can't, I can't believe I was thinking
1: but, like... Angela, this is the reality. For most people who are starting to homeschool, who were who not homeschooled, who are not familiar, but have just made the decision that they're going to start this venture and homeschool their child, most people literally feel and believe that they have to reproduce school. So, but, but you know, this is where we really have to have um, an understanding of the power of indoctrination, right? Because we're pulling our kids out most of the time because we recognize there's some type of a toxicity or something negative, where we just feel like it's not the best place. And then what do we go and do? We reproduce or we try to reproduce that environment um, thinking, you know, and I think, you know, I mean, I did that to a certain degree and think a lot of parents, it's like, well, but if it's just one-on-one, if it's with me, it'll be different. But we create, you know, we, we try to recreate because the the expectation is, or the understanding is the system works. It's just implemented wrong, you know, Mm. so I'll, I'll do it, but (laughs) maybe the system just doesn't work. It might work for some folks, but I think it really just doesn't work the way we think it works or, or the way we think it's supposed to work. Maybe it does work for their purposes, um, but not really in terms of what our expectations are when it comes to education.
2: I mean, it absolutely works as far as producing, you know, obedient, docile, submissive slaves. That That's a great thing that it works for when you can have a bunch of children and teach them to sit down and shut up and follow rules and don't question authority. It's a great, a great formula for creating submissive slaves, right? Um, But I'm not interested in creating a submissive slave. I'm interested in creating a, you know, cultivating the powerhouse of a human being that God has entrusted me to raise and to care for and to have her, you know, and my son just be all that they can be in this life. And and that's not going to come again through force or coercion. And so when I when I had started, that was what I had planned to do was, you know, doing the school at home. And I asked in a unschooling group on or sorry, I asked in a, in a homeschooling group on Facebook. I said, if you had any advice for a new homeschooling mom, what would you say? And I got hundreds of replies. But one reply in particular was two words. And the lady said, research, unschooling. And that was all that she said. Wow. Was two Wow. And I had no idea at the time how those two words would completely change my life, change my family, change my future. And uh, I don't even know who it was, but I am eternally grateful to that lady. So if you're listening and that was you and you put, wrote those two words. If on a you're paper,
1: one of those people yeah. that just will, you know, put, <laughs> so I do that when it comes to like homeschooling or like when it comes to like certain topics, like I'm not really engaging the group, but I'll just put research this or, yeah. you know, look up that. Yeah. Because that's have, I've also had the experience like where you'll, it'll, and and again, you don't remember this person. It was just like something ra- seemingly random, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's really random, but it's just, then it opens up doors. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So if you're that type of person, like keep doing that. Like just, you know, put that one comment, look up this, you know, just that helpful thing, because yeah. sometimes that's exactly what opens a whole new door for someone. That's so true. Um, that's life changing. hmm so what is unschooling?
2: Yes. So unschooling is actually a term that was coined by a man named John Holt in like the 1970s. And to be honest, I hate the term. <laughs> I hate the term unschooling, which is actually why I refer to myself as the peaceful world schooler as opposed okay. to unschooling. So if you find me on any social media, my, my handle for all my social media stuff is peaceful world schooler. And that's because... The, the philosophy comes from the idea that all of life is learning and all learning is valuable and that we are able to learn everything that we need without school without the force and coercion elements that are in school. And we can absolutely learn with, with freedom and with joy. And so, yeah, so that's, that's what we do. I started, it started out for me as an experiment when I first started researching and I was like, this is crazy. Kids can't learn without a teacher. They can't learn without a curriculum. They can't learn without tests and quizzes to make sure that they're actually learning. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just, I was like, I'm going to give it a try for one year and we'll see how it goes. And like I said, at the time, my daughter was four, she just turned five. And I was like, can my daughter really learn how to read if I never teach her? And so that was kind of my my experiment. <laughs> I was experimenting on my kids for a year.
1: At a safe age, okay, she's four, she'll be five. If it doesn't work, I, st- I still have, you know, five to six. And, and that was, that to was
2: to my thought. I was like, it's kindergarten, how bad can I ruin her? You know, she knows so, her, her colors.
1: <laughs> what kinds of activities did you do though? So
2: that first, or or like, what did it
1: look like? Like, because I think a lot of people have a misconception. I think people who are, um, who want to, you know, teach their own children, some folks, um, they don't understand it. Folks who are not homeschoolers at all, or they don't understand homeschooling or anything like that. They hear that word and they just imagine, Oh, you just pop your kid in front of the TV all day and you do nothing. So what, what what does the, a day look like? And it looks different for everyone, but just share with us.
2: It does, yeah. Well, th-
1: again, the philosophy
2: comes from this idea that we learn best the things that we learn with joy. So it really is very child-led, child-driven. Our children are in the driver's seat of their own education. And then I, as the parent, am supporting them and pursuing their passions and their interests. Um, for that first year in particular, I was very intentional because I, was, I wanted to see if unschooling really worked. I wanted to see if it was possible for kids to learn things without a teacher. And so I intentionally did not do any of the things that I normally would have done as a teacher because I wanted to see, can she teach herself how to read? You know, I was reading all these stories and and comments and listening to podcasts of unschoolers all over the world saying, yeah, my kid taught themselves how to read, you know, in their own time, in their own way, in their own P- pace, without ever doing a phonics lesson, without ever taking an English class, without ever having any, any kind of explicit teaching on this stuff. And I was like, there's no way, you know. Um, but sure enough, I can say, you know, now um, on the a- other end of it, my, my daughter absolutely did. She taught herself how to read in that one year. And and I just very was I was very intentional to observe her that year. Um, My commitment that first year was rather than viewing myself as the teacher of my child, I'm going to intentionally and purposefully view myself as the student of my child. So I'm going to get to know her as much as I can. I'm going to observe her to see what is she naturally you know, drawn to? How does she like to spend her free time? What is she naturally engaged in? How does she like to learn? You know, there are many ways to learn things. My daughter loves to learn by watching videos. She's really into like learning by watching videos on YouTube. She also is very hands-on as well. So she likes to do stuff and experiment for herself. And so, yeah, we did a lot of that. And then uh, again, the other big argument is like, oh, if you're homeschooled, oh, what a cute cat! <laughs> but like, if you're homeschooled, that you're at home all the time, and that was the other reason why I'm like, I don't like to call us homeschoolers or unschoolers because we are almost never at home. <laughs> you know, we're we're at museums and parks and aquariums, and you know, we're traveling around the world, and we're out with our friends, and you know, we're volunteering at elderly homes and, you know, interacting at home, you know, volunteering at homeless shelters. And I mean, we're, we're
1: doing stuff. You're living life. You're doing life. Yeah. Yeah. We're out, we're out, we're out of the house. So (laughs) So, I just want to like ask some specifics on that though, because I know like this is exactly the kind of thing that people either just don't get or people who genuinely like they want to pursue this. Um, Mm -hmm. So did you make sure to just have, you had like, books around or were the videos she were watching kind of like phonetic videos because I will tell you that I was also a self-taught reader I was reading before I went into kindergarten and um my mom like would take me to the library and like I, I I this was in the 70s I was watching um Sesame Street and um Mr. Rogers and so like there was just like a lot of um really good I feel like looking back I think it was like good stuff that was based on phonetics that that was worked for me Mm -hmm. and I always and you know we didn't have a lot of screen time we didn't have but I always had I always carried books with me I just felt like so grown up so we'd go to the library and I have books and eventually like I think making these connections so Mm -hmm. I just I remember that experience like from when I was like three or four because by the time I went to kindergarten I already knew how to read yeah um, so I so think. so and and i think there's probably a lot of that like if you were exposed to some things so what did like right. typical things like for your daughter what did that look like when
2: it comes to reading in particular i think the things that helped her like you mentioned was like um super why that was like a show i remember that in- i, I, yeah. I love super why they really like incorporated reading phonics, and letters and sounds yeah. very naturally My yeah son so first yep. one um, whenever we would watch like a movie on the TV, we would always put subtitles on. That wow. was something else that we did a lot. We would play games when we were driving, we would do, you know, like, um, oh, I, I'm going on a trip and I'm bringing an apple. I'm going on a trip and I'm bringing an apple and a banana, you know, to learn the alphabet and the letters and the sounds that way. But again, it wasn't like, now we're going to sit down and do a worksheet and learn, you know, B says buff, right. It was just very natural and, and mm-hmm. organic. Thank you, sweetie. Um, And yeah, so it just, it it was just a natural part of our day. It wasn't any kind of formal sit down. I'm going to force you to
1: do a boring worksheet. And that's the key. The key is engagement with your child. And I think that unfortunately, um, you know, whether your child is in, um, I think obviously like if, if your kid is going to school, there's a lot of hours that they're not with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that even when um, the kids are with us there, because of the technology that's around, there's this, there could really be this lack of engagement. So I like what you said, where you were conscious, where you were purposeful. I think especially that really young age, children want to learn these things. Um, When you're very young, all of these things are, um, you see them as steps to becoming a bigger kid, right? They're all, um, um, you know, uh, oh, I'm missing the, the term. Um,
2: it's, it's steps in growth, right.
1: As they're growing
2: and developing and, and, and it is, it's, you know, reading is, you're not going to be able to function in this world very yeah. well if you don't read, you know. Yeah. And so the, the key isn't to force a kid to read. The key is to provide them with opportunities
1: where they want to learn this skill, right. you know. And it's, and it's the important. engagement piece is so important because I think just us as adults, it's very easy for us to become distracted that we're, that just the mm-hmm. time that we spend with our children is not happening so it's like yeah. you know you get in the car and right away you know you put on music or a podcast or something and the kids have their uh, their technology and so like just that is a wonderful opportunity when you're driving to have a conversation to make observations really anytime and i think yeah. we really have lost that idea that these type of engagements are actually um really um, important for kids. And they actually are very fruitful when it comes to that type of engagement of like how much they actually absorb and observe and how, and what that is actually learning for them that, that period of time. And then, you know, sitting down, you know, like children, like they, they want to learn how to write their name. I mean, so we're talking about really little ones, but I started homeschooling um, my oldest when he was, I want to say like 13, 14. He mm. was already bigger. Um, and so one of the things we did was we listened to audiobooks together. Oh, we so love every, audiobooks. Yeah. So every time we were in a car, we were, and our, the first thing, the first um, thing that we did in our homeschooling journey, I was just like, well, how are we going to start this off? We're gonna read the book 1984. Oh my god! So um, we did that, and we we but we both listened to the audiobook together because at that time audiobooks were better for him. And I'd never read the book; I'd heard p- portions of it, but I'd never really read it. And so it was mm-hmm. just kind of this wonderful um, experience for both of us. And also, it kind of set the stage for our approach to to learning. Um, that we we really, you know, he was allowed to question authority, he was allowed mm-hmm. to really like go in a lot of different directions. But yeah, it's really important to, to put the time in engagement. And I think that um, if that's the piece of the unschooling, that's different, I think, from homeschooling, whereas homeschooling, we tend to look at it like, there's more structure. And that works for some people. And some people do a yeah. little bit of both where like you're sitting down and like you're doing a workbook, you're reading, you have something very particular, you're producing something. Um, whereas with unschooling, it's looking at every every daily life moment is, mm-hmm. a, is an educational moment. Um, if you're you know typically we think a lot of homeschoolers like i mean i homestead right but we think like oh you live in the country and like you're you're taking care of you know chickens or animals and and yes certainly like there's chores and that's kind of could be built into it but really like anything that you're doing creative you can find a lesson in it i mean cooking you're preparing meals is a is a life skill but then you can also be talking about measurements right bringing math into it and understanding chemistry. You're looking like a a liquid is turning into a gas and all of these types of things. So it's, I think it's just allowing yourself to be creative. And like you said, really learning about your child and how Mm -hmm. they figure things out.
2: Right. Yeah. And you may, you made a comment as well that I, I just, I wanted to clarify too, that a lot of times when people think of unschoolers, they think that we're just not doing school or that we aren't doing any kind of formal lessons or no structure. Mm-hmm. And that's, while that is true for a lot of unschoolers that, that a lot of them thrive in that environment, that's not the the whole tr- truth of it. Right. So the idea with unschoolers, is structure, or you're not using a curriculum, or you're not using formal resources, or not taking formal classes. The idea is that if you're taking them, it's because the child is the one that's choosing them. Mm-hmm. And so there are unschoolers who are actually in school right now because the child is choosing, I want to learn in this way. And for me, this looks like I want to go to a school, you know, and they might do that. And, and in my case, actually, this year, we're going to be doing that too. My daughter. Um, You know, I I talk with my daughter all the time about, hey, how do you want to learn X, Y, Z, or what would you like to learn this year? And this year, she said that she wanted, We actually, it was a couple weeks ago, we were watching a video about these kids in in India and Russia. And they were doing, like, mental math, but they were adding and subtracting, like, three-digit numbers. And it was, like, 20 numbers. And they were just doing it like this. And I was like, how the heck? Like, I have a master's degree, and I can't do that, you know? And so my daughter was like, that's really cool. I want to learn how to do that. So I registered her for a formal class on that, you know? Oh,
1: cool. So,
2: so she is taking a formal class for, for math this year. Um, but again, she's the one who's choosing it. So there yeah. there is no element of force or coercion at all in our relationship. She is a completely free human being, just as I am. And um, yeah, so you you can have, you know, structure, you can have curriculum, but the difference is who's choosing it.
1: Awesome. Uh, I just want to take a moment um, for you guys that are listening or watching. Please take take a minute and like and subscribe to my page at Latina Libertarian. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. And give me a follow on Twitter, which is at LibertyMe15. Uh, just, I have to get better about doing that because I really don't do it often. And, you know, you never know who's listening. All of these things actually help push through algorithms and, um, get our message, get our message out there. Um, so I'm so happy that like you joined me and we get to just talk a little bit about, um, what your experience is. I I think really it is something and it's, um, and and, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like in the next few years, but it seems like there is a, real struggle. Um, I don't want to call it a war, but there is a struggle with our school system. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we see the videos of parents who really are now paying attention. They are going to school board meetings. They are speaking yeah. up, speaking out. They are questioning um, curriculums that seemed Uh, way too adult um, with, with topics that are, you know, way too sexualized or way too politicized. um, And there's, there's pushback that's happening. And so I think now, and I look at it, if there is something positive about the COVID mania and all of the stuff that happened in the pandemic, it's that parents had an opportunity to see because so many of the children were doing virtual learning, Mm -hmm. um, they had an opportunity to see and hear what they were actually, what their kids were actually being taught. And I think that was a wake up call for a lot of parents because it was really after that where, where parents all of a sudden started showing up and saying, wait a minute, why do I have to leave the room? Right. Like there was a, there was a thing where some of the, Teachers were like, okay, we can't have parents in the room while we're teaching this. And it's like, why? Why? Yeah. What is it? What's going on that I can't and seeing kind of like what the exercises are, like what yeah. what books they were reading, or this and people were shocked.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I think, I mean, my son was my oldest, I took him out of school before then, but one of the reasons was because of that. And this was before COVID. So I think This was just an opportunity for parents to realize some of the stuff and um, the pushback of like, no, you can't question that or you can't be in the room. And even to the point where now um, organizations that are, you know, parent led organizations that have the goal of becoming more involved in schools and going to these meetings and having parents run um, for their school board, they're looked at like terrorist organizations at this point because it's such a threat um so it's just it's so incredible to me that there's a lot more attention that's being paid and there's a to to the education there's a lot of tension um and it's so much of it is ideological and I Mm -hmm. really appreciate you're framing things like you know as a libertarian as an anarchist because it is ideological we're looking at the power of the state, right? The power of government. And um, it's hard to question that when, you know, our children are in this setting that's literally indoctrinating them, whether it's through the power dynamic or the actual material that they're learning.
2: Right. Absolutely. And ultimately, I feel like it comes down to that question. Like all of these debates that we have over you know, politics and education and all these other things, it really comes down to that question of is it or is it not a moral and ethical way to interact with another human being through force and coercion? And your answer to that question is going to determine so many different aspects of this, you know, and I feel like if we can like universally agree (laughs) that it is not moral or ethical to interact with human beings in ways that are forceful and coercive, then that ripple effect, it's like, take that idea to its logical end. What does that look like? When you say, I am, I'm committed to interacting with you through your voluntary consent. I will not force or coerce you to do anything against your voluntary will. And, and then what does that look like? How does that play out when we look at government and how our government runs or how our society runs or how our businesses are run or how school systems run, you know, how how does that work? And so for me, that was kind of like the, you know, the linchpin, right? That, That was the, the key question for me is how, how do I want to treat my child? Do I want to treat her in a way that is respectful of who she is, that treats her with empowerment and with freedom and autonomy, or do I want to have power and control over her? Do I want to force and coerce her? Do I want to interact with her in these ways that I know now know and can identify that are toxic and abusive? And I, and I don't, so.
1: That is incredible. And sadly, the reality, I think, um, as we've experienced in the last few years is that there are people who are okay with that <laughs> as long as they're on the right side of yeah. the, uh, of the coercion and the power, right? I mean, we have these power dynamics and relationships and, you know, people are, um, okay with it. They were okay with mandates. Mm -hmm. They were okay with people, you know, losing their jobs. They were okay with people, um, being coerced into putting things in their body or on their body that they were not okay with. So that's unfortunate, but I think there are enough people who, um, are not okay with that there's enough people who are not okay with coercion who are not okay with force who when you ask them that question or when you pose it that way think yep i think cooperation volunteerism is the way to go like that that makes a lot of sense and you kind of have folks kind of go down that path of okay so what does this look like you know then that's why you know you have these conversations like this is why we say taxation is theft this is why we say um you know, we start looking at, at all of these d- different interactions and we're like, what are other alternatives or solutions to these types of things outside right. Um, right. of force or out, outside of um, of the government doing it? Like, are there ways that we can come up with this in our community? Um, but yeah, I, and, you know, pork Porkfest was an example and there's other like... I'm having my own Festival Liberty Center. so cool. And, and we have freedom festivals and and we have other, um, you know, kind of like small communities um, of folks that, you know, uh, that gather and whether it's for a short amount of time or a longer amount of time where people yeah. are creating kind of like conscious communities or conscious gatherings of like, we're going to exercise these principles and yeah. um, share what they look like. We want to share what, voluntary is and cooperation and what free markets are because free markets really are just an extension of all of that. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I put it in the chat, but it's also in our description, but if you just want to share, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you if, um, they have questions about unschooling or homeschooling, because I know that you have different groups that you run and you have these conversations with people. Um, And I think you have like some social media groups like where that you are in as well, like where folks are working together to ask these questions and and help one another.
2: I do. Yeah. So I I know you have all my social media stuff linked on there. Mostly I'm on TikTok at Peaceful World Schooler, which is I never imagined that I would ever say that. But um, my TikTok has kind of blown up over the last couple of months, which has been really cool. To see, so mostly I'm on TikTok, but you can also find me on Instagram at Peaceful World Schooler. I'm also on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Um, I also have my own podcast called the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we talk about uh, gentle parenting, peaceful parenting, and peaceful education or unschooling. And um, if you're curious about homeschooling or unschooling, I do offer free live Q&As every month. I do them in Espanol on the second Wednesday of every month, and I do them in English on the last Wednesday of every month at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can register for that on my website. Um, or you can click on any of my links in, in my social media. So I'd love to see out one of those. And um, and actually, another big thing that kind of is starting this year, I actually started a my very own private school for unschoolers. Nice. And so if you are interested in learning more about that, it's called PAX Academy. So we provide families with the legal covering of a private school with the freedom of unschooling so that your kids can get an accredited transcript and a diploma from a registered private school and, um, yeah, so, and you can unschool to so your heart. is hard that,
1: plan. is that for just one state or is that anywhere?
2: That is for all 50 states. Yep. Students and awesome. children in all 50 states and almost every country are able to register and enroll in PAX Academy now.
1: Awesome. So all right. So I'm gonna be, this fall. Awesome. I'm going to contact you about that. I'm interested in that. I think that's wonderful. Awesome. Thanks. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me. I had a blast speaking with you when we met at ParkFest. I, I, we just had such a great connection, and your yes. story is really wonderful and inspiring, and I love all the work that you are doing. Um, guys, Yep, yeah, take a moment. Go to Peaceful World Schooler when you can uh, on Twitter. And, do you have a YouTube channel? Oh, I do. I have a YouTube channel. Okay. I think you said that, and I know it's linked, so... Go and give Angela a like and follow if you haven't already. Go to Latina Libertarian. But thank you so much, guys. I am producing Liberty Stock. It is Vermont's premier freedom festival and benefit of Vermont. Recently, had some really catastrophic rains that um, that you know for like two weeks it was nonstop rain, and then we had some torrential rain that caused some serious flooding. Mm-hmm. Um, in my area and throughout the state so uh, liberty stock freedom festival is also a benefit it's going to be benefiting a local clinic in my area so you can go to libertystock.org it's labor day weekend saturday september 2nd into the third there's going to be music canifest, camping uh, there's going to be uh, panel discussions on medical freedom holistic healing on uh, legislative activism, which includes homeschooling. We have a new homeschooling bill that passed in Vermont and also talking about food rights and activism and basically um, kind of just gathering and practicing our principles of volunteerism in a fun environment. And there's a free market expo with local vendors and artisans selling a little bit of everything, all the good stuff. So I hope to see you there, check it out. Uh, Angela again thank you I appreciate and thank you everyone who is watching or listening like I said when you get a chance like and subscribe but I appreciate all of you and uh thank you for helping me have these uh free conversations because we need to keep we need to keep doing them and share our ideas all right so hang out there and uh see you guys soon